You're a busy provider trying to stay current with the latest HIV testing, prevention, and treatment guidelines, and your pockets are overflowing with note cards. You need a convenient, trustworthy source for HIV testing, treatment, prevention, and care protocols. All healthcare professionals have a role in stopping HIV. Introducing HIV Care Tools from the AIDS Education and Training Center program. The HIV Care Tools mobile app is simple, free, and fully functional offline or online. It features quick guides for HIV prevention, screening, testing, diagnosis, and treatment. HIV Care Tools provides common clinical calculators used in HIV management and provide validated screening tools for comorbidities such as depression, substance use disorders, and PTSD. And if you need clinician-to-clinician consultation, HIV Care Tools provides one-touch access to free clinical consultation services by a multidisciplinary team of experts. Take us with you. Download HIV Care Tools today. Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, we're sitting down with John Farragon to talk about the role of monoclonal antibodies in the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. Thanks so much for being here as always, John. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Uh, Glad to be here once again to talk about uh, another important topic. So John, let's begin to break this down a little bit. In what ways can monoclonal antibodies be used to fight against Omicron? Yeah, so I, th- I think many of us are aware that there, there have been some monoclonal antibodies that have been used for the treatment of um, uh, of COVID nineteen. I think I thought today what I would cover a little bit on what the guidelines say because the guidelines have updated some of this information in the last uh, couple of weeks or, or month or so um, that uh, really addresses the use of these monoclonal antibodies. So um, just remember now we're right now we're talking about still. Um, uh, the Omicron variant right now. That's, you know, Delta's gone. Omicron has pretty much taken over. Um, uh, and then there's the second variation of the Omicron, which is now starting to actively circulate. So uh, the one for treatment, and, and there's also one for prevention. So, so the first one for treatment is um, that we can use for, um, for Omicron is called citrovimab. So you know, we haven't talked about this much, but it's actually one that was, uh, was, was available even back when Delta was here. Uh, and it had very good efficacy uh, w- with different variants. But now with the Omicron variant, citrovimab is actually the only one we have as far as monoclonal. So right now, um, the, the Omicron variant, the BAM and, and ETI, so the BAM lenivimab and the edisevimab, and also the uh, casarivimab and endevimab, so the BAM, ETI, and CAS and DEVI, which we've talked about before, those had very good efficacy against previous variants. But right now, the Omicron variant, those, those two uh, dual monoclonal antibodies don't work. So right now, so trovimab is really all we have as far as monoclonals. And the EUA, which is the emergency use authorization from, uh, from the FDA, has authorized this as a 500 milligram single IV infusion. And basically, you give it as soon as possible, as soon as, soon as you just know somebody who's high risk and, and needs it, um, and when, or within 10 days of symptoms onset. Uh, and again, it's for those age 12 years uh, and those weighing greater than 40 kilograms. So what do we need to know about citrovimab? In what situations would providers be advised to administer it? Well, I think the hard part about this is that the citrovimab is, is really going to be administered in, in, in a large setting um, because, you know, a hospital or someplace like an infusion center. Again, a lot of this has to do because there are chances for these severe 
hypersensitivity reactions that can occur when somebody gets a monoclonal antibody. And an anaphylaxis, which is really serious, where patients can potentially get short of breath and have a severe allergic reaction, that all has to be managed wherever you wind up giving citrovimab. So most likely it's going to be in an infusion center. That's what we do here at our hospital. I think that's what a lot of places are doing. Um, patients, um, uh, once you give the drug, once you give the citrovimab, the IV infusion, the patient should be monitored during the infusion and also observed for at least one hour after the infusion. Uh, and interestingly, um, as, as, we, as we talked about the BAM, Eddy, and the CAS and Devimab, the FDA EUAs actually were pulled recently from, uh, by the FDA and because this predominant variant right now is Omicron, and really the citrovimab is the only one that's really going to work. So it's interesting that they, some of these other monoclonals that we used to use, they've actually been almost like kind of removed for now, at least uh, until unless another uh, variant comes along that, that where they're effective. And the, and the citrovimab is really all that's available right now. Um, in addition, the NIH guidelines also now recommend the use of these um, uh, MABs, ju again, just to um, just for the Omicron variant, because that's that's the only one, one that's going to work. So um, so really, it's anybody who's right now getting infected. We know that, you know, probably 100% of people right now, if you're getting infected with with, uh, with SARS-CoV-2 uh, virus, you'll, you're going to have the Omicron variant, whether it's the earlier version or the newer version, that's going to be, um, it's going to depend, but, you know, bottom line, it's still, there's still uh, versions of Omicron. And, and, and so really that only the map is going to be able to be used for that. Can you talk a little bit about using monoclonal antibodies for prevention or PrEP? Yeah, so this is an interesting concept as well, Mariana, that's relatively new uh, for these monoclonals. So we know about you know, treatment for people who actually get SARS-CoV-2, but what about prevention? And so there's, um, there's a study called the PROVENT study, P-R-O-V-E-N-T. It's a large randomized controlled trial. And, and the FDA, um, uh, based on that study, it issued an emergency use authorization for a combination of two monoclonal antibodies called uh, Tixagevimab and Silgavimab. So um, uh, this is a, uh, the brand name is Evushel. And this is actually authorized by the, by the FDA as a pre-exposure prophylaxis for certain high-risk uh, uh, people who may be at risk for progressing to severe COVID-19 if they, if they were to be infected with SARS-CoV-2. So these two mon monoclonal uh, antibodies, I'm going to call Tixa and Silga, all right? So Tixa and Silga, almost feel like you have to have nicknames for all these drugs, right? Um, but these MABs, uh, Tixa and Silga, the Evusheld, uh, have, have prolonged half-lives. And these have potential protection for SARS-CoV-2 for up to six months after the person's received it. Um, and they also have activity against the B1617.2, that's the Delta variant. Although preliminary in vitro data suggests that the Omicron variant remains susceptible, I think there's more data that's needed to kind of fully assess the efficacy of Omicron uh, activity, you know, the, efficacy, the efficacy and safety of um, acti activity and efficacy of um, this uh, uh, this Tixa uh, Silgava for the Omicron variant. I think that's still a little bit in question, but I think it's still recommend, recommended to, to be used here. So when reviewing the NIH guidelines specifically, they, they recommend using uh, this combination and it's administered as two consecutive 1.5 ml, so small volume intramuscular injections uh, for SARS-CoV-2 prep for adults and also for adolescents if you're over 12 and when 
at least 40 kilograms. Again, these are for people who don't have SARS-CoV-2, but who have not been recently exposed to an interval with SARS-CoV-2. So again, where would this come up? So, so it's really kind of not, it wasn't really designed to have to be used for people in place of a vaccination, right? So it's probably going to be more for people who are high risk and still have gotten vaccinated and may not have had an adequate response to the vaccine, for example, or people are worried about that. So where they actually define that you should use this are um, in moderately to severely immunocompromised people who may have an inadequate response to COVID-19 vaccination, that's one place, or if they're not able to be fully vaccinated with an available COVID-19 vaccine due to documented history of severe reactions to a COVID-19 vaccine or any of its components. Perfect example. So here, if you have a patient who got, um, maybe they got their first dose of Moderna and they had a really severe allergic reaction and they were concerned, enough concern where they actually did not give them the second dose of Moderna. This is somebody who would, who would likely be a candidate for this. Um, severely immunocompromised, patients who may have gotten the vaccine but have no T cells, for example, somebody who has chronic HIV infection that's untreated or in the early stages of treatment where the numbers, where the numbers aren't good, that would be a, a spot for this. Um, people who are treatment experienced who have HIV who can't get their T cells up because they have, they have a lot of resistance and not undetectable, another place for this drug. So again, there's kind of like different places. And then I think the other thing too, the, the people that really kind of come, come into mind the most are, are oncology patients. So patients who have, who have, uh, who have chronic, um, uh, chronic cancers and also uh, people who have had uh, transplants. So people who are on immunosuppressive drugs for, for transplantation. These are people who have all probably likely been vaccinated, but may potentially not have an adequate response. So this would provide an extra layer of protection uh, for, for them in, in addition to, to the vaccine. It's also really important to note that this Tixa and uh, Sogavimab is not a substitute for vaccination. I know I said that, but it's really clear to make sure it's not a substitute for vaccination. So it, un, un, it should not be used in unvaccinated individuals for whom the, the vaccination is recommended and who are anticipated to have an adequate response to the vaccine. So if you're an you know, somebody who's prescribing these drugs, if you have somebody who's just refusing to get vaccinated because they don't want to, and there's really no medical reason for them not to get it, you know, this is a place where you would not want to use it. So really trying to reserve this for people who might really need it. And again, those immunocompromised patients are the most important, important pieces, people. Can you talk a little bit more about who qualifies for this treatment and, you know, what kind of conditions they would tend to have? Yeah, so that's important too. So going into some specifics, I kind of touched on some of them, but let's get into some of the specifics that are, that are listed in the guidelines, okay? And the EUA has a lot of things listed here. One of them, acute treatment for solid tumors. So we kind of mentioned this, but oncologic disorders, but also hematologic malignancies as well. Um, solid organ transplant if they're taking a suppressive therapy. Um, there's also these T-cell therapies, these uh, chimeric antigen receptor uh, T-cell therapies, or um, even people who have had stem cell transplants within two years of transplantation, or if they're taking immunosuppressive therapy, they're candidates for this. Or if you have a moderate or severe primary immunodeficiency. So those are really rare conditions, which I won't spend a lot of time on, but I think the one for us is, you know, if you are dealing with HIV infected patients, if you have advanced or untreated HIV infection, again, anybody who has T cells less than 200, um, a history of an AIDS defining illness without immune reconstitution. So if your CD4 hasn't gone up over 200, or even if you have clinical manifestations of symptomatic HIV and you're early on in treatment, this might be a potential option for, for people. And then for anybody who's receiving high dose corticosteroids, um, alkylating agents, anti-metabolites, anti transplant-related immunosuppressive drugs, it's a whole laundry list of meds 
tumor necrosis blockers, other immunosuppressive drugs, immunomodulatory biologic agents. Um, these are all, all things to think about. So, so not as specific, you know, these are specific ones that are in the guidelines, but think about other people too who might be on drugs for, um, for psoriasis, for example, which may be suppressing their immune system. There might be, they might have drugs that even some of the GI medications that we use for Crohn's disease might be things to think about. Um, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to specifically fall into a box where they're going to qualify, but I think we have to think about all those patients that are in any kind of immunosuppressive drug and think that they might potentially need um, need um, this uh, uh, this Evusheld as a, as a prophylactic regimen for them. As we begin to wrap up, what else do providers need to know about this? Well, one of the problems I think that's happened with some of these monoclonals is that there have been supply issues. Right now, at our hospital, we have a lot of the Evusheld. We have plenty of it, but some of the other, like Citrovimab, we've had, you know, there have been uh, shortages and there's not a lot being allocated all the time. So that's one of the problems. But so if the supplies of those drugs are limited, I think priority use for people um, are those with the highest risk for severe COVID-19. So if you had comorbidities into that kind of list that we just went over, those would be the highest people, you know, the most important people to get this medication. Um, and also for those, um, any individuals who continue to meet the criteria for use of, of this as PrEP and who remain in a setting with ongoing SARS-CoV-2 circulation um, can receive another dose every six months. But the uh, right now, we've only had a one-time uh, one dose combination therapy where there's data. So there's no safety or efficacy that, that exists for repeat dosing, but that's something that's kind of being looked at. So one question that may also come up is what if a person has received a, a COVID-19 vaccine? And then obviously, um, uh, this is something you have to think about. If you, you can use the the Eva shell, but it should be administered at least two weeks after vaccination. So let's say somebody did get a vaccine, they had a reaction to it and you want to use this, you'd have to wait at least two weeks before you gave the monoclonal antibody. So those are kind of the big picture stuff about Citrovimab and also about um, this uh, Tixagevimab, so, so Gavimab, so uh, Evusheld. It'd be interesting to see how this all pans out. Obviously, um, right now, today, um, this is early February, the Omicron variant, the numbers are, are dramatically being, are, have been reduced dramatically in the United States and continue to go down. Although, you know, we still, you know, still worry about other variants and also potential resurgence of even Omicron as well. So things all, I think things that everybody's thinking about, um, just remember, no one has a crystal ball. Everybody likes to say that they know what's going to happen next week, but we still don't know. And that's this is where we are today. John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about a new way we can protect vulnerable groups from getting severely ill from COVID-19. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaaetc.org. That's www.nekaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nikaaetc.org. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at nikaaetc.org. Stay safe and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.